Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. So we just had the episode with Cain and Abel. Yeah? Remember those guys? Yeah. The first two children, right, that had parents uh, in our sacred mythology. Uh, And as usual, siblings got along really well. Right, and that's always our story, right? Brothers get along super well. Um, so Cain kills Abel out of right jealousy about Abel's offering having been accepted, and Cain's not. So we jump in immediately after that event. Cain was intimate with his wife, who became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. He became the founder of a city, and he named the city after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad begat Mechiael, and Mechiael begat Methuselah, and Methushael begat Lamech. Lamech took two wives. One was named Ada, and the other was named Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the progenitor of tent dwellers and herders. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the progenitor of all who play the lute and the long flute. As for Zillah, she too bore Tubal Cain, a smith, progenitor of every artisan who makes copper and iron tools, and Naama was Tubal Cain's sister. Now Lamech said to his wives Ada and Zillah, Hearken to me, wives of Lamech, give ear to my speech. Because of my bruise, I've slain a man. Because of my wound, a lad. Cain is avenged sevenfold, and Lamech, seventy-seven. As I said, the third triennial division is often. Yeah, it's obscure. Why are there forward slashes in my. Why are there forward slashes? In the translation. It's poetic. Yes, they're not there in the Hebrew. Right, because it's written slightly differently. But let's. All right, so let's look at 17. So we're, we're getting right to the continuation of the line um, that in a lot of ancient tradition in the ancient Near East, the people who are responsible for culture are not humans, right? They are divine benefactors that give, think about fire in Greek mythology, right? How do we get fire? Steals it. From the gods, right? So this is, you know, that the, the, a lot of the early invention of culture and of civilization comes from uh, divine benefaction. Because it's, it's magic, it's or it's tied to something beyond the human, anyway. Uh, and so scholars believe part of the reason for putting this particular genealogy in here is to counteract any such thought by early Israel, right? It's, there, is not, there is not only not divine benefaction other than God giving us life, um, but we're going to show and name all of the generations of humanity connecting it directly to Cain, right? And saying, here's, right, th- these are human beings. They are completely and totally human and they are responsible for, the, er, this is where it came from. It's, they're responsible for the earliest forms of, of culture. Uh, that we have, right? Um, we, do we? Um, so we 
these names are, some of them are completely obscure. Some of them make a little bit of sense. Um, but genealogy is always, always critical. Who's usually responsible for genealogies? Which, which author? Which author is usually responsible in Torah for the genealogies? J, E, P, or D? Who? It's always, usually, P. The priestly source is usually responsible for genealogies. Christian religion also keeps track of all. They care. The, the the priestly author cares very much to tie people to other people. They care very much in the priestly school for who descends from whom, and usually there's a reason to tie it back. Um, so tying some of these genealogies all the way back, and we're going to see another genealogy to Noah. So it's really important to have a, ge- a genealogy before Noah. Why? So we need to tie all of humanity back to Adam. To Adam. It's so the genealogy has to be from Adam to oh, Noah. Right. Everyone's destroyed but Noah and his family, which ties all of humanity back to Adam. Why is that important? We're all one family. We are all one human family. This is a critical message of even early Israel. That we are all, all of humanity descends from one human being. So that ultimately there is never an argument for my ancestors are better than your ancestors. And there's a rabbinic debate about what is the most important precept of Torah in the Talmud. And one rabbi argues that it is, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And another rabbi argues, uh uh-uh. It's that we all tie back to Adam. Because is already dependent on I'm going to treat my neighbor as myself. That, that's out of some kind of idea that we should all be equal. The other rabbi seems to be arguing, but if you're equal in fact, flows from that logically. Right, so the most important precept is no, it's not a behavior, it's not an attitude. We are, in fact, all related. And so you should love your neighbor as yourself since your kin would make complete sense. So, so that's not the place to start. The place to start is we are one human family. So if we're one human family, why are we supposedly chosen? So it doesn't mean we're not different, right? It doesn't mean we don't have different experiences. And certainly as people proliferate (laughs) and, or whatever that is, um, and become different cultures. Remember, we had the Tower of Bavel. Um, So the, the whole thing with the Tower of Bavel was that everybody was too much the same. That became a problem. Right? And so God s- s- disperses everybody and gives them different languages so that they didn't understand each other anymore, which is apparently how it's supposed to be. So diversity in human experience is actually right there in, in Torah as, a, as an ideal. Like it's a good thing because when we're all too much the same, I think of Nazi Germany. Right? When, 
when everybody's too much the same and thinking too much the same and there's no difference and there's no distinction, then there's really no conversation. Or the Republican Party. Uh, or, or any party, right? Any, any party that, that gets too, everyone thinking yeah. lockstep, then it really terrible, terrible things can happen. Um, was there a different source or, or, or what for? I, I always thought the reason to tie back to uh, Adam, as you said, was not so much Adam, but tying back to the, to God's creation of the earth. Therefore, He owns the earth. Therefore, He give it. He can assign it to us. It's His. We borrow it. We use it, etc. Was it a different source that that from that had had that philosophy for why uh, the inheritance was so important to go all the way back, or I mean, the I, same source, just a, a different message. So I, I think I need to argue it the other way, which, which is the, the early Israelites were dealing with answering, right? That their, their mythology had to answer some surrounding mythologies in terms of it being distinct. So Adam, the story of Adam and God being completely in control, that already is divergent from many versions of the creation narrative that were in the neighborhood. It's not the genealogy part the early Israel would have made a distinction around, it's Adam's actual creation. That there's no other God involved in Adam's creation is a, a different version of things than what we've seen in the ancient Near East because there's always a creatress. There's the goddess. And so in, a, in many versions, she gets slain, right? Tiamat gets slain and half of her body makes the heavens and half of her body makes the earth. Um, so there's, there's something that happens before the God create, right? So anyway, what was my point? So the, the creation of Adam by a single deity who acts alone is what makes Adam and the earth and, every, and, and God creating the earth alone is what makes it clear that all of it belongs to God. And we're going to see some more of that when the earth is destroyed, right? That it all belongs to God and God gets to do whatever God wants to do with it. Uh, I, I can tell it was completely unsatisfying as an answer. Um, I, I don't know of another place where genealogies are used to point to it all belonging to God. Does that make sense? But a, a Adam belonging to God, Chava belonging to God, all of creation belonging to God, right, that is a foundational and in some ways revolutionary idea. Okay. Yes? So there were two foundational ideas. This and the fact that we're all one community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so one thing about the distinction mm -hmm. piece, like, it's really coming up to me right now. I'm an individual in my own chair, in my own spot in this room. Mm -hmm. I have my own questions about the process, but I hear your questions, and I treat them as another part of the idea that I don't yet understand. And so I really feel myself in community. And, like, I think... The benefit, like, like you're saying, the, the necessity of the distinction is we all need each other to fully, like even there's another point about the, each one and a half shekel, um, that I feel that right now. And so as you guys ask, I'm like really grateful for the questions you're asking. So there's a beautiful teaching by, I believe it's Peter Pitzela, who, who says when we study Torah, part of 
part of why we don't study Torah alone is for exactly that reason, yes. right? That in listening to someone else's question or listening to someone else's insight, right, that already changes my relationship to the text because each of us can only ever experience the text as a mirror. We can all only, each of us, ever experience this text as a reflection of our own questions, our own challenges, our own longings, our own whatever, until we study together. Then your mirror becomes my window. Right? So that I don't see the text mirrored the way you see it, but because you are willing to share that out loud, it becomes a window for me into someone else's mirror. I just mangled that, I'm sure, but (laughs) into someone else's window. Thank you. Stay with the window. Um, Right? Which, Which I think was the the point of the rabbis, right, having us commanded to study Torah right. and to read Torah out loud together, right? Like, I, I think that that was part of the point is that we weren't supposed to have our own unique individual interpretation that never goes anywhere else. Because what's that? <laughs> right? yeah, I mean, it's lovely, but... Well, it's like, as post-World War II, here I am, human, like, reading Torah, like, there's the part of me was told, get A's. I grew up, get A's, be smart around Torah. Be smart so that I can let the walls down of my intellect and be like the spiritual, like whatever we create through that. It's like less what than more how. Well, and, and the what, because the what stops being my achievement. Yes. My report card. The what starts to be community, understanding, truth, right. search, longing, right? That, that we've pointed to the wrong thing in our country right we've we've in our culture we've pointed to success you need to succeed and that means you need a's that's very different from an actual pursuit of knowledge wisdom understanding right that's it's very different um and it's very non-rabbinic it's very non-rabbinic to say you're doing all this to achieve right you're doing all this so that you can understand the will of god better so that you can live your life in alignment with whatever the divine would be calling from us. That's the point of this, ultimately. So we understand ourselves better. We understand our motivations. We understand our inclinations. We understand our challenges, right? We, our longings are... And the only way to really understand it is to be in community and discussing it and... Turning it upside down. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Let's go to 25. Adam once again was intimate with his wife, and she bore uh, a son and gave him the name Seth, since God has given me another offspring in place of uh, Abel, for Cain had slain him. As for Seth, to him too was born a son, and he named him Enosh. Then it was that people began to invoke Yudhevavheh. This is the written record of the human line from the day God created human beings, making them in the likeness of God, creating them male and female, blessing them, and naming them humans on the day they were created. Adam had lived 130 years when he begot in his likeness after his image, when, when he begot in his likeness after his image, and he named him Seth. After beginning Seth, Adam lived 800 years, and he begot sons and daughters. The years of Adam's life came to 930, then he died. Okay. Uh, So most ancient Near Eastern cultures have an understanding that 
everything that is pre-flood, people lived a whole lot longer. A whole lot longer than after the flood. The antediluvian lifespan is way longer. So the, um, the flood is not just an event. The flood is a judgment on human capacity to live along, on, on human longevity, right? It's a, it's a judgment. The most you're going to get after the flood is how much? 120. Motion. So 930, right, is um, in, in ancient Near Eastern terms is young for pre-flood people. The period covered by our pre-flood period is a lot smaller than other cultures who have like 400,000 years to account for between creation and flood. So our people lived a lot shorter, so 930 is actually <laughs> a short, a child. What's, what's the definition of a year? You know, a year? Most people do a, uh, a lunar calendar, and do they, in both Torah and, uh, and elsewhere in New uh, Eastern cultures, do they count years differently than we? It's a, it's a 12-month cycle. So it's, that's exactly what they're talking about here. That where people want to start fudging that stuff is when you start looking at creation and you're talking about a day. <laughs> like, well, what's a day? A day is evening to morning. I mean, evening to evening, that's a day. But, you know, but, but people who need to defend the text need to start saying, well, a day might have been an epic. Like, it might have been a thousand years. No. Like a day is a day, um, and a year a year was a twelve month cycle. Yeah. Right before five, the last word. Then it was that people began to invoke. Mm-hmm. Why, why then? What is that about? Yep. Good idea. What, what do you think? I have no idea. <laughs> it jumped out. Yeah. Right. Right. So monotheism. Right. Yes. Were you going to say something, Bert? Uh, is this the first time yud heh vav Hey appears in Torah? Um, I don't know. You'd, you'd have okay. to look at uh, the creation narrative because and see if it, it happens anymore. Because it's Elohim at the beginning. Um, when? Um, anyway, uh, it is, so it's clear that yud heh vav Hey is pre-Abrahamic, right? So it's, it doesn't come on the scene with Abraham. It's there really early, says our author. Yeah? That Yudhe the awareness of human beings that Yudhe is the creator, monotheism, if you will, is there early. There's nothing else that our later folk um, supplant in terms of early human relationship to the one. Right? I just looked, and this is not the first time. That was my suspicion. <coughs> not, not even close. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not the first time the word appears. No. Right. What is, what, so what does the word invoke? Does well, it, mean? Wait, it, it isn't here in Hebrew. It's likro b'shem Adonai. To call on the name of God. To call God's name yud heh vav Now, I'm sure that invoke isn't wrong. God forbid I would <laughs> t- call the translators wrong. But it's, you know what I mean? But there isn't a verb that's really invoke here. 
Again, English being a language of breadth, Hebrew being a language of get straight to the point, <laughs> right? Um, so they pick a, a word that probably means something close to that, but to call, right, the name yod Bavhe. And it's not like a name like your name is Amy and my name is Bert. Name here, what, what does name mean? I mean? It's not the label. We use name in English mostly to mean label. So it's, I mean, we've talked a lot about name being essence. Name is something about calling on the essence of someone, and in this case, something. Um, and it seems that, that humanity, Mark, to get a little closer to your question, it seems like humanity had to get to a certain point before they apprehend the nature, right, the essence yes. of what divinity is and and it's significant that it's yod Vavhei that is chosen, not Elohim. Why is that significant? Why, why, why didn't it just say Elohim? And it's acknowledging the lack of boundaries. Well, and, and Elohim could have a different interpretation. Mm-hmm. Right? Elohim, God's. It's yeah. it, it could mean something else, right? Like there, there's a little room for, you know, what does that mean exactly? When you say yud hey vav hey, it's very clear who we're talking about here, right? This is the God of Israel. This is the one, the creator, the, right? There's no room to misinterpret who we're dealing with or who they apprehended as the creator God. It's yud hey vav hey. was a previous concept of, of, of God's. Correct. Correct. So, like that, that could leave a little too much open to interpretation, right? If you use L, are we talking about the Canaanite L? Are we talking about like maybe it's the same God? It's like God forbid, right? It's got to be much more specific. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, this line through this continuity became in touch with Yudhei But there, there's a lot of contact before this. I mean, there's, there's Adam and Eve talking to God, and Yudhei Vavhei is talking to them, and they're talking yeah, back it's to Yeah, It's not the first contact. This is, it's, right, right. This, I think, it's clearly thinking about a different. It's a deeper connection than what we had before. I think so that's, so that's that's that right. Right. Linda's had her hand up. Yes. Um, does Elohim appear in the Torah anywhere other than at that? Yes. Vayomer Elohim Yehi or Vayehi or. Right. Okay. But From the beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I I once heard a very interesting dis, uh, conversation about the distinction between Elohim and Adonai. You gave okay, and that Elohim talks about just the grand atmosphere, the cosmos of the of the earth. When humans live, and Adonai was the the real connection, the visceral connection between the humans and Yudhivati, and that's when the differences of the use of the Elohim versus Yudhivati. You were right until then. <laughs> so Rabbi Harold Schulweiss of Blessed Memory yes. has an article you can look up that says Adonai Elohim. Who I heard Right, so it, he's not saying that's when you got different names. We got different names from different no, but authors. Di- no, but how, how it, how, 
the interpretation was that El that Elohim referred to a whole different. It, okay, so it, it was Schulweis's reworking mm-hmm. of those names to have a theology that we could live with. <laughs> it, it has nothing to do with the origin or the meaning in the Torah of those names. Nothing at all. He meant, he meant we can take, how can bad things happen to good people if God is, if God is everything and the creator and whatever? How can God be good and just if bad things happen to good people? It's that same old question. And so Schulweis gets to it by saying, because there's different aspects of the divine. One is a world, Elohim, that has cancer in it. And cancer reproduces in human bodies. That's Elohim. That's how the world is put together. Adonai is in the doctors, is in the people who show up for us, is in, right? Like it, he's, he's distinguishing those names in order to say God is in both, but, but, they're, but they're different. It's not, they're not different, God forbid. They're part of the same reality, capital R, but some things are godly, just, they just exist and they're not good or bad. Then there's yud heh vav which is the imminent, relational, good part of That's what I was trying to divinity. Say. <laughs> Isn't it also... Uh, <laughs> is it? And I, I forget <laughs> which... Is, I heard. Right, right. Why do we have shen on our window instead of... Sh- Shaddai. Shaddai became the, the traditional one to put well, on the house, visual. to guard the house. Isn't there also yeah. an issue with Adonai and Elohim of... The aspect of compassion and the aspect of strict justice. So it's, that it's well. where that's where the Kabbalists go, mm. right? Is that they the flavor of God that is Din is Elohim. The flavor of God that is Rachamim is uh, that is mercy is Yerevavim. So I, I want to try to nail down uh, this question of uh, back then. What was the terminology that the Bible uses? Invoked mm-hmm. God. Does this mean? Uh, because it gets to the heart of, it, of this, that those individuals pre-flood um, actually um, had a relationship with Yehovah. Um, so Abraham really wasn't the first person that had a relationship. It, it went all the way back. Sure. I mean Noah. Well, Adam and Eve. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's from the beginning. Right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Go, uh, so, the, we're, so what's the Hebrew for the beginning of chapter 5? Ze sefer toldot adam. Whenever we see sefer, it means a written tradition, not an oral tradition. So there exists somewhere, once upon a time, sefer toldot adam. So is our version taken from some other version and reworked? Is it taken from several different versions? There's a tradition of Sefer Toldot Adam, the genealogy of Adam. We're going to get 10 generations. This was very common in the ancient Near East. 10 generations is a very common number between one huge event and the next like big thing in human history. Right? In our case, it's Adam and the creation of the world to the flood to Noah who will survive the flood. 
That's 10 generations. That's 10 generations, right? And so this is a very common, we have uh, a list of Sumerian kings, 10 generations, very much in this format. This is a very familiar thing in the ancient world. So you'd have to have the Israelite one, right? I mean, if, if, it's, that, if it's that common in your sacred literature, you, you better have your version or you look like you're... Like you're not with it. Mm-hmm. Right, like what's up? You've got, you got to have the 10 generation genealogy, hello. Um, so we're getting ours, right? And so um, we're not going to go through the whole thing. Question? Yes. The, the, here the English says likeness of God. Uh-huh. If I'm reading the Hebrew properly, it's not Betzel Elohim that we're used to seeing or we saw earlier. It's a different word. Is it? Dmut. Uh, right. Is, is it the same thing or because we always make such a thing as we're made in the image of God um, so the note the notes that I've read say that um, it's most likely about the alliteration of uh-huh. Adam Bidmut right taking out Selim um, <laughs> but that you know it, it makes it a little more alliterative um, but but what my favorite part is right is so God creates Adam bitmut Elohim asauto, right? God makes uh, Adam in God's image. Zachar unekeva baram. Male and female, mm-hmm. God created them. <laughs> right? It doesn't say after Adam and then God created Chava. Mm-hmm. So in his image, though. Yeah. Of course. Right? Of course we're created in God's image. There's not in his. Yes, I mean, I'm, you I added said, that. No, I say that because I was born saying that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right, but, but what was so? What was the? But, but what was the? What, what? It sounded like there was something there, like that. Well, I mean, in God's image, though, like what? God is having no human image. Ah, so of course, God forbid, God should have a human image. So what must it mean? That we have divine image. God forbid, God has a human form. God forbid. So it must so it must mean something else. Like for the rabbis, it must mean something else. If, if we say God has a physical form, we're heretics, right? We're apikorsim. So it must mean, by definition, something else. So it must mean us being in the image and likeness of God is, is some other aspect of ourselves, although they, Jewish tradition has always seen the body as as spiritual and as divine and as holy and uh, right We're, we revere this physical form that we are gifted and it's not like it's less because it's not the image of God so it's more like our totality somehow is created in the image of God right a reflection is always in some ways a distortion right but you know but definitely for them it's the soul it's the spirit it's the, like all those things that make us divine but we have the ability to Godly deeds. We act in a godly manner. Absolutely. Absolutely. George? Uh oh, you look concerned. <laughs> I want to go back to something that I, much of it I don't understand, but the specific. Uh, in the first, uh, in, when hearken uh, to me the wives of Lamar, give ear to my speech because of my boobs. I've slain a old man because of my womb, the lad. Cain is avenged sevenfold. And I'm at 77. I don't understand. <laughs> Does that mean if I kill someone, I could, and then if I have kids, that makes up for killing someone? Most likely, this is the remnant of a much larger epic poem 
And it's a hero tale. It's a hero tale. So all heroes slay somebody, right? And I mean, you just have to have that in a hero tale, right? Um, and, and every culture has them. And it, and, and it is, it's the beginning of kind of a commentary on where humanity is going, right? It, it, this is the beginning of humanity starting to kind of come apart and decay morally right kind of that celebration yes look at me I'm so strong I'll avenge somebody like it's the beginning of the decline that leads to the flood it's early right it's already here that it's beginning you know the kind of right it's it's not a good thing this is not a good thing this is not something that we celebrate this is an indication that already things are starting to unravel for human beings. Right? Like, yeah, we don't lift this up as, ooh, yeah, this is what we're going for. <laughs> right? That it's, it's an indication that stuff is already messed up. Um, and that, yeah, the shedding blood to avenge other blood, right, is already, is already here. Amy, are we supposed to read um, Genesis from the point of view that it's being written by a historian as opposed to a theologian. Us? Genesis itself. It, it, it reads, in other words, there's no concept here of monotheism, and probably until Abraham. It just seems like it's written deliberately to say, this is who we are, this is where we came from, and there's no uh, assertion that there is one God. Okay, so... So there, there is an assertion that there's one God. Yes, there is. Definitely. There's what, and that's part of the point of the story, is there's one God created heaven and earth and all of humanity. One God. So Nobody where, else. Where did the other gods come in with regard to our people who were always praying to other gods prior? Because they were exposed to other people's gods, through right? Their migration through living where they live. Sure. Like, yeah, their, their development of their culture and their religion. What, I think what sometimes we forget is that we look at this book in a vacuum. Yeah. We take this to mean, what does, it, what does it say? How are we supposed to read it? Which are all good questions, but, but it, it didn't come out of nowhere. It, this was our version of a very popular book that was already going around for thousands of years. First there's oral tradition, right? Then there's written tradition. But this is just our version of what is already in the neighborhood. The flood is already established. We didn't make up a story about a flood, right? Everyone knew there was a flood. Well, of course, right? There's antediluvian and post-diluvian. Everyone knows that. And everyone knows people live 900 years or 10,000 years before the flood, and everyone knows life is a lot shorter. There are things that are just taken for granted in the early Israelite setting that make our story make sense. It doesn't make sense to us, right? We have to know all that before we get, like, why this is here, and why would someone write that? But there's no imposition by God saying, I created you, believe only in me. Not we later. we in 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 later books we get that all the time, but not in Genesis. Well, not in the first chapter. You know, 
is, is the call to Abraham, you can worship whoever you want? No. Right? right. Only me. And your kids and grandkids had better worship only me. Right, right? No, so it's Adam and Eve are the only human beings, and God talks to them in the Garden of Eden. And nobody else is around. Yeah, we're not supposed to read anything from this, that there's a demand that you only pray to one God. The, the explicit command is not yet not given, given, but you can't read this outside of that explicit command. The people who wrote that command wrote this. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm saying. We get all tangled up. The people who wrote you shall only worship yud heh as your God wrote this text. They wrote this text to be evidence that only yud heh existed at the time of the birth of the world. No other God. Therefore, why in the world would you worship another god when only yud heh was on the scene? So that fact that it was that they did worship other gods is only cultural. It's not written in any way. Correct. Correct. Well, but, but what's written clearly reflects the fact that people were worshiping multiple gods. Y- yes. Yeah. Yes. When when this, this is written, time. people this are worshiping other gods. Yes. Right. This new proposition. Uh, and and who was worshiping other gods? Right. Oh yeah, Israel. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, the ones who wrote this text. Right. 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 Okay. They were still carrying them around. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Mickey, one thing, and then we're going to push on. Oh my God! Look at the time. Yes, Mickey. Oh, uh, the word, the I'm sorry? The root word, the mood, is um, dumb. Blood, it seems like it's creating a, a bloodline. It's dame. Dame. Similar. Dame, dmut comes from dame, to be similar. Ze dome le ze. Right, this is similar to that. I don't think the etymology is dumb. Okay, I don't think it's blood. We're creating a bloodline with all the. That's a lovely midrash. Write it up. And we'll add it. All right. Um, I want to push on because I want us to get to. Poor God. Sorry for God. I know, it's bad. Like, it's going to be a hard year for Torah, I think. Like, the way I, like, had to deal with Moshe this year, and now I'm feeling super bad for God. Okay. So... Um, Bert, you want to read at six? Uh, chapter six? Yes. Oh, chapter uh, and nobody freak out on me. We're going to get through it. I can find you. Oh, okay. Now, <clears throat> as people began to multiply on the earth, daughters were born to them. And when the divine beings saw how fair were the human women, they took wives for themselves as they chose. Then yud heh vav said, My spirit will not forever endure the humans, as they are but fallible flesh. Their lifespan shall be only 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and afterward too, when the divine beings mated with the human women, they bore for them those heroes who from of old enjoyed great renown. All right. Wait. <laughs> I was waiting what? for it. All right. So... Right. 
All right, so people are increasing, right? We're doing exactly what we're told, because and, and somehow I skipped over that wonderful Zachar and Ekeva business, right? So male and female, God created them. So the earthling, it's another argument for the earthling, Adam, possibly being hermaphroditic. Zachar. God creates Adam, Zachar, Unekeva, Bar'am. Male and female, God created them. So it is, right, another place to get the Midrash that how does God create male and female? By splitting the earthling in half. That was originally Zachar and Nekeva, male and female. Right. So what, what, and then it said there, and we skipped over a little bit, um, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. So then the ten generations that we get are a fulfillment of that commandment. Right? Human beings do. They are blessed, and they, they do exactly what they're supposed to do. They procreate. They have lots of sons and daughters, right? So now, for chapter 6, they're increasing. Right? Yeah. This is like coming in from left field. coming in from nowhere. <laughs> well, it can't be coming in from no, nowhere. No, I mean, it seems to. Because <laughs> it says... And gives us zero explanation of who these sons, children of Ha Elohim. We have a divine article in front of Elohim. And, and, and it's funny, a lot of articles you look at just say B'nai Elohim. It's like, no, it says B'nai Ha Elohim. The definite article tells us that this was an already established and well known business. We don't get any explanation. It seems like it comes out of left field, but it isn't. If you're writing a text and you go, you know that melody was as simple as Mary had a little lamb, and you go on. Okay, if you don't define Mary had a little lamb, and you throw it in there, it means everybody knows what Mary had a little lamb means. right? Everyone knows that song. Or you would have to explain it. So it is very obvious whenever we get something like this that comes in like feeling out of left field with zero explanation, we all go, what? It is something that is very well known to the ancient reader who wouldn't have been reading, but the, to, to the ancient world, right? So let's just accept that there's something about B'nai HaElohim, these, these children of, of God somehow, these divine beings, some people want to call them divine beings, and they saw the, the daughters of Adam, right? Benot Adam, human daughters, human females, kitovotena, that they are tov. <laughs> right? <laughs> they are very tov. And they took for themselves uh, women, Mikola Sher Baharu from among all that they chose. Right? So it was like a buffet, essentially. Um, I'm assuming the women had no choice. It so, doesn't well, say they did. Th- there's, there's arguments about this. So there's arguments about this. Um, some want to say they took them as Nashim wives so that there was nothing wrong happening. That they took them as wives that because they were attractive other people want to say these were the generation of don't read B'nai Elohim as being somehow divine beings God forbid they were just huge personalities like leaders revered people and those revered people misused their position could you imagine such a thing misused their position and authority and power and did to human females 
whatever they wanted to. I, I want you to suspend your disbelief for a moment and pretend that this is possible. They felt entitled. So, so on some level, there are people who want to interpret this text as this is another piece of evidence and another way that humanity has fallen from God's original intention, right? And if we hold a reading like that in mind, it's, I'm telling you, like, imagine God, like, really? Really? This is what I create? This is, I gave you life. I gave you a piece of me. I gave you my ruach. I breathed life in, and this, this is what it's come to? Really? So then, so if we hold that, we can get to the next part about what's happening for God. But even if they are divine beings, and some, and some folks want to read these as divine beings, the rabbis have all these midrashim where the angels say, see, we told you you shouldn't have created human beings. You see what happens? Especially the males. You see what happens? This is what happens. And God said, you would be just as tempted by human females if you lived an earthly existence. And they said, nuh-uh. <laughs> and God said, yaha, watch this. And made the angels physical and put them on earth. And what happened? They took human females because they were tov. <laughs> right? And so even the angels couldn't resist human females, right? They're, they couldn't resist their own, you know, sexual, their own lust, if you will. A- and it's critical that that's, that's the way they chose, right? Not, not because the women were of excellent character and very bright, right? And very motivated to succeed, right? No, it's because, right, that it, they pleased them, right? The, meaning they're objectified, right? They are objects of the B'nai Ha'elohim's choice and pleasure, not about relationship. Look how Greek mythology just records So that it's everywhere, happens. right? It is all over the ancient world, the idea of semi-divine beings having intercourse with human females and giving rise to, right, folks like Nephilim. Big people. Right? So lots of people want to jump all over Nephilim being connected to Nafal, to fall. And where do you think Christians go with this? Of course, fallen angels, fallen divine beings. These are the offspring of, it would seem, the B'nai Ha'elohim, and human females are the Nephilim. He- heroes, like think, think heroes like, like um, give me one. God, no. Hercules. Hmm? Roll out. <laughs> Rocky. Thank you. Hercules, right? Perfect example. Right. So you know, they are not divine. They are definitely human, but they have divine some qualities. superpowers, right? They have some divine uh, qualities. So that seems to be what our Nephilim are. And these were the heroes of old, the men of renown. So this is where the, some people pick up on these were the renowned heroes who felt like who, who became degraded. And others want to say that there were the heroes are the offspring of B'nai Ha'elohim and human females. In either case, I don't really think it's so important because it doesn't seem to be critical to the narrative. I think, it's just my opinion because it's kind of my thing, I, I think what's important here is that here it is, right here. Here's why we have this at all. The Lord said what? God said what? My breath 
shall not abide in man forever. Since he too is flesh, let the days allow him to be 120 years. Why do Adam and Chava get kicked out of the garden? They ate from the tree. They ate from the tree. They ate from the tree of the knowledge between the difference between good and evil. Why did Chava eat from that tree? Because what did the Nahash say to her? It tastes good. You won't die when you eat this. What will happen? You will be like God. God. You will be like God if you eat from this tree. And God banishes them from the garden and places a cherub there with a flaming sword so that what? They can't get back in. So they can't back in for what? Get back in for what? It says it specifically. So they can't get back in and eat from the tree of life and live forever. Which to me says they were created mortal. People love to say death is a punishment for sin. It's, I do not believe that. I do not read that text that way. They were born mortal. They ate from the tree that was going to make and made them more like the Nahash didn't lie. The Nahash was right. When we have a knowledge between good and evil, don't we become more like God? Yes. Yes. So if they're going to become more like me by eating from that tree when I told them not to, what's going to happen? Wait, then might not they eat from that other tree and live forever? And it was never their destiny to live forever. They're humans. I believe this story is about B'nai HaElohim having intercourse with human females and looking to create humans that might live forever. My, my soul is not, I mean, my, whatever it is. <laughs> my spirit. My, my spirit, right? Ruhi. My spirit is not supposed to live in Adam more than 120 years, God decides. You got 900 before, but... But the point, I believe the point is the same with the Tower of Babel. It's about humanity challenging the limits of being human. And it's okay. We didn't get killed for eating the fruit of the tree of the good, the difference between good and, and, and evil. It, it's okay that we become like God in certain ways. Where it's absolutely off limits is immortality. That is off limits. Any attempts at that, and I believe I would include in that why we can't drink blood or eat blood. That is my own theory, but I believe it's another way ancient peoples might have looked to extend the lifespan was to consume the life force of other living beings. Like vampires. Those myths don't come out of nowhere. And people believed them, right? So, so I, I really think that there's a, there's a huge line through Torah that we kind of don't really talk about. It's like lots of things living into the image of God is beautiful and wonderful and we're supposed to. What's off limits is immortality. You human beings are finite. That is, in fact, the meaning and the beauty of your lives. Because any vampire novels worth their weight 
Interview with a Vampire, <laughs> the best of all time, I'm just going to say, and I will defend it, like, to the mat. So, um, Interview with a Vampire, what, why is that book so poignant? Because he suffers. He suffers so much because everything around him is finite, and only he will live forever. He watches it all wither and die around him, and it's unnatural, and, and he's bored. How long can you live and find things novel? How long can you live and have any urgency around everything if you know you live forever? And it seems to me that Torah is very clear that part of the very meaning and definition of what it is to be human is to be finite. Yes. How ironic that we're accused of killing children, Christian children, to drink blood. Right. This is the irony of that is just, yeah. right, right. This colors my view of last week's story of Moses' death. Right, right, right. Although, although none of us had a problem with Moses dying, that wasn't our problem. Any of us? What was our problem? Why? And that that's a you know that's a consequence of something, and that he doesn't get in. Partially answers why. No, nobody had a problem with Moses dying. People had a problem with Moses dying before he reached the promised land. That he's told you you can look at it, but you don't get to go over. Right? I think we made some peace with it by saying, okay, it's a metaphor for none of us really ever gets to go over. Um, But it. But I think everyone was clear that you know that. Moshe needed to die because the next generation, right? I think we were all clear about that part. All right, so, all right, so just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Hang with me just a little bit more. I promise I won't keep you up. Don't keep us past alpha. Don't keep us past one o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Um, Bert, five. When Yud Hei saw how great was the wickedness of human beings in the earth, that the direction of their thoughts was nothing but wicked all the time. Yudhe Vavhe regretted having made human beings on earth and was heartsick. So Yudhe Vavhe thought, I will wipe the humans whom I created off the face of the earth, the humans and with them the beasts, the reptiles, the birds of the sky, for I rue the day I made them. But Noah found favor in Yudhe Vavhe's sight. Okay. I think often when we talk about the flood narrative, like creation to flood, I think often we, we think of God having a temper tantrum, mm-hmm. right? a punishing, wrathful God. And I really want us to step back and remember what we... God has consistently tried to like, right, deal with this creation that God has made, and continually they push right against the limits to the point that they now have become only Ra. Right, this 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 Beneha Elohim taking human females is just one. It's one level, but take that to its logical. Right, what if that's the way the world works? That you just can take whatever you want, do to another human being whatever you want, or just take what forget forget it. Maybe they agreed. Maybe it's not a bad thing for the women, but but still to, to just take to take what you want. Um, it, it seems that it's a slippery slope. <laughs> Just saying, right? A slippery slope to everything being rock raw, only evil. Well, there's another piece here, and that this is God regretting. Hey, hang on. So rock raw, everything is rock raw kol hayom, only evil all day long. 
Kol Hayom, all the day. Right? So 24-7, all people are doing is figuring out how I can get what I want next, or how I can take, or how I can, right? So I, I really am not trying to push this. I think, though, that this is not a new problem. This is, I mean, the corruption in our society is not new. Torah understands it to be the human condition. That that's what can happen, right, if we're not careful. I believe Abraham and the covenant becomes an answer and a preventive and a prescription for rock, rock, ho, hayom. Left to our own devices, it is not pretty, people, right? Like, without... I believe the Abrahamic covenant is an answer to this issue. That there's just bad, like when we're left with nothing to guide us, right? That is what is going to happen. And so in, in this case, God, right, to, to go to Bert's point, I, I really, God is sitting in deep regret, for what God has done. So God, out of this regret, yit atsev el libo. God's heart is saddened. God does not destroy the world out of anger. God is devastated that what God imagined as being the most glorious mixture of this new idea of a material being and it, God, has become rock ra kol hayom, only evil all day, every day. God is devastated and decides the only thing to do start is to start, start over. over, to take the best seed, Ling, <laughs> I didn't mean it to be quite that like graphic, to take right, the, the, the plant that has the most hope, right, that you got, you've got a lot to work with, <laughs> But take one that looks like it's hopeful, right? And you're gonna, you're gonna raise the field. You're gonna burn the field. And you're gonna plant that one in really fertile soil, right? Hoping for a different outcome. Amy, I'm having trouble trying to reconcile the idea that man is created in the image of God. And yet reading this, it seems that God's belief is that man not only is fallible, but it's certainly not neutral. There seems to be a proclivity towards slipping into uh, bad behavior. And it's only, and God gets fed. I, I don't know how you can tie this together and say you're in my image as a metaphysical idea. Why wouldn't the proclivity be to do good and not do evil? But it seems the author's want you to start seeing man is fallible and fallible only leading towards bad behavior well that's what we get pre-flood pre-flood we don't have that again we don't see that again after the flood we're we are descendants of after the flood we are descendants of noah we are descendants of the best that was on the planet at the time so yeah right right yeah right not unequivocally but i mean well no well actually he was the best among what was there for the time. That's what it says, right? In his generation, right? Sadiq, right? Bidoro, in his generation. So of what was going on, God took the best and started over. We are descendants from that reboot. 
So it seems to suggest we're maybe a little bit better. It's like humanity 2.0 is an improvement, it seems, over antediluvian reality. So we'll start there. Um, but, but God is, right, so God is deeply regretful. So I want to say one thing, two things. One, God regrets. So I think there's a lesson here that if we sit in regret, only destruction comes out of it. Hmm. That we, only destruction. And God God learns that. Was was this a mistake? I think so. I think God decides never to do this again, never (laughs) to destroy the world by flood again. I think we're lucky that... God doesn't have to worry about it. We're taking care of that. Yeah. 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 We're destroying the world now. Right. Yeah, we're doing it for God. So, Bring um, on a flood. But I don't want to go to the flood. Um, I want to stay here. So regret, right? Regret, only, if we stay in regret, it can only lead to destruction, which I think is a really important teaching for our time, right? It's a really powerful teaching. God doesn't do it out of wrath or justice or punishment God destroys out of sadness and regret so that's one point the second is which I'm going to give you Jonathan Sachs to take with you um, is that um, why create this at all if the omniscient one must have known that right things were going to go badly why do this at all is a question we could easily sit with you heard me talk to it a little bit at Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur whatever Yom Kippur so um but this idea that God creates anyway, Rabbi um, Harold Kushner says, why did God create Eden and put in the middle of Eden a creature with free choice mm-hmm. and say to that creature, of all the trees in the garden you may eat, but if this one you may not eat, that is just a recipe for disaster. So like, God is certainly smart enough to know that that's a risk that you, you, you could be really regretful, right? Why do that? And, and Kushner's answer is because God wanted human goodness more than God wanted perfection. Perfection would have been Eden, human beings, animals living in peace, lion laying down with the lamb, everybody gets along. That's perfection. But God wasn't interested in perfection. God was interested in human goodness. And the only way you get human goodness is to give them a choice. A choice. A choice. Is to give them free will, right? And books are all about this. And so I think that this, you know, when you when you talk about reg- like regret and like why would God create knowing that, that there's going to be all this craziness of nuclear war and all this kind of stuff? And you know that I don't believe in an omniscient, all-powerful God. But let's just go with Sachs, who does, right. <laughs> right? Sachs believes God is omnipotent and omniscient and all good and all that stuff. Why do it? And I believe Sachs's point is a good one, is because there's gorgeousness in this business anyway, right? And that if we don't, if there weren't humanity, there could never be a tzaddik of any generation. Mm-hmm. And that we all have, whether we have actual biological children or we participate in raising children, we, we all put ourselves out there to be hugely disappointed. <laughs> 
<laughs> Just say. Wow, that laugh came from a mother of three daughters. Wow, right? That is a knowing laugh right there, people. Um, right? We put ourselves out to be hugely disappointed. Why? Why bother? All the tsuris and pain and, and whatever that's going to come from child. My daughter said to me once, why do you like being a mommy? <laughs> like, like, it's so hard. Like, you work and you cook and you, like, pick up my stuff. Like, why would you want to do that? Well, I couldn't possibly begin to explain it to her till a certain point in her development because she was not wrong. <laughs> it's a sucky job, a, a lot of it, right? But why do we do it? Why do we risk it? Why do we put ourselves out there knowing we could be devastated and hurt? Because that is the only possibility for goodness. For because we have the touch of divine God. And we are creators, right, in that sense. And like the creator, there can't be a tzaddik, there can't be righteous people, there can't be good kids who are making a difference in this world if we don't risk having them and loving them and raising them, no matter the consequences to us. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org